pointing the way towards freedom in an unfree world. This is The Liberty Effect with Ammon Bundy. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Liberty Effect. This is Ammon Bundy. Um, glad to be with you again. Uh, we are on every Thursday between 1 and 2. And uh, again, hopefully we got some content here that means something, that will make a difference in liberty. That is our goal and and objective to this show. Uh hoping that you get some information or maybe think about things a little different so it gives you a choice. We're not trying to make your choice. In fact, that's opposite and what I believe uh, anybody should do for another person is take away or try to make a choice for them. We're trying to give you the information uh, so that you have a choice because you can't choose if you only have one source or, uh, you know, or one, um, uh, I guess, source of information. You got to have multiple. Um, I've been, I got to warn you, I've been under the weather the last couple of uh, days. I've had a pretty extreme cold and uh, just starting to feel better. So if I sound a little nasally or if I cough a little bit, I ask you to bear with me. I'm still getting over that. I'm feeling much better today. Got some, finally got some good rest last night. And, uh, thanks to my wife trying to doctor me up, I'm feeling better. Um, so do you remember a few weeks ago? I don't know. It might've been more than a few weeks ago. I talked about a book that I found while I was in the prison, federal prison system. Um, and this book had the cover ripped off, the back, uh, I don't know, the label tore off of it, both front, front and back cover tore off of it. And somehow it landed in my hand. Somebody gave it to me or I can't – I think someone did uh, bring it to my cell and gave it to me and, and said, you got to look at this. You got you to gotta study this. Well, I began to do it and found out that it was a uh, – a, uh, naval officer, intelligence officer that wrote the book by the name of William Cooper, and that he was privy to a whole bunch of documents, um, you know, in the, I think it was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s mostly, and he was privy to these documents because he had some security uh, clearance, and he began to see uh, basically a plan that was put forth uh that was very concerning to him. And uh, I talked about this in, in a show, like I said, a few weeks past a little bit. Uh, interesting enough, the prison system uh, has a list of books that are not allowed inside the prison. And so I went to this list. I was just reading it. Uh, I don't even know why I went there. It was just on the on a, on a bulletin board in, inside the pod there. And sure enough, down the list was this book. I found out that the book's name was Behold a Pell Horse. And I looked on it and that book was not supposed to be in the prisons. For some reason, they had outlawed that book and I don't know how it got in. And I think the covers were ripped off of it uh, and it was, and the back was ripped off so that uh, the, the jailers wouldn't be able to identify it as the book that wasn't supposed to be in there as one of the books. And there actually wasn't a lot of books. 
I mean, comp- in comparison, there was probably 40 to 50 books that were outlawed, out- outlawed maybe not even that, uh, and this was one of them. Uh, now, one of the things that he talks about in this book that I'm going to start off with, we're going to get in some really conspiracy theory here. Right? We're going to, I, I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist, but I do uh, feel it's important when it has enough evidence that it needs to be talked about and people need to be aware of it. Because one of the things that he uh, discusses in page 104 um, is called the Verona Treaty or the Treaty of Verona. And interesting enough, this was a treaty in the 1800s between Austria, France, Persia, and Russia. And basically, it was to suppress the, the, the freedom of the United States of America with the help of the Pope. And it was, be, it was the Jew, Jesuits agreed to smash the Constitution, if you will, and suppress the freedom of the U.S. Now, you might think, oh, I'm in here you go. Or maybe I'm making a stretch. But this is not something that you can't get access to. You can Google the Treaty of Verona. You can read the content of it. I'm going to go over some of it today. And the point here at the beginning is to show you that there has been and continues to be a direct effort to destroy the freedom that was established here in this land including destroying the Constitution. And it, what it is, is it's the same battle that we see in, uh, in the medieval times, where the kings and the lords claimed that they had divine right to govern, that they, 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 were, they had bloods of nobility, and that their right to govern came from God, and that no one else had the right, and anybody else tried to take that right, that they were uh, they, that they were basically acting outside of the realm of, of God, and that and basically that the people didn't have a right to govern themselves. It was given to them to these people. They believed that they had the divine right, and uh, we see that same thing in the Book of Mormon. We see it with the uh, you know with the Kingman. That's exactly what they believed. They believed that that they had a right to govern. And they believed that the Nephites had uh, taken that right, and you know, and they because they had a, a, a self-governing system, a government of representation, you know, and the people were sovereign, and so they continued to have battles and wars over this, and it, basically, it's the same battle that there are certain people that believe that they have divine right to, to rule, and that that the 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 individual is not sovereign, that he doesn't have a right to rule himself. Now, the Verona Treaty, Article 1, and listen closely. I'm going to do a lot of reading. I hope I don't bore you to death. I don't think I will because this is very interesting stuff. And I'm going to try to get through it. <laughs> I still have a little bit of a lot of phlegm in my throat. So just bear with me. Article 1. This is how it starts out. The high contracting powers, you hear that in there. That's identifying them of this treaty, that they're contracting with each other. The high contracting powers, and they call themselves the princes or the divine rights. Uh, The high contracting powers being convinced that the system of representative government is equally as incompatible with the monarchical uh, principles 
as the maxim of the sovereignty of the people with the divine right, engage mutually in the most solemn manner to use all their efforts to put an end to the system of representative governments in whatever country it may exist in Europe and to prevent its being introduced into those countries where it is not yet known. Now, you can see here, if you, if you listen closely and if you go read to it, it's identifying the maxim of sovereignty of the people. That's the representative government of the people. That's what basically that the people have a right to govern themselves. And then they're saying it's it, uh, versus the divine rights, okay, and that they uh, use all their efforts to put an end to the system of representative governments, now, Article 2, as it can, cannot be doubted, this is, this is the words directly out of the treaty, as it cannot be doubted that the liberty of the press is the most powerful means used by the pre pretend supporters of the rights of nations to, to the detriment of those of princes, the high contracting parties promise reciprocally to adopt all proper measures to suppress it not only in their own states, but also in the rest of the world. Okay, Article 3, convinced that the principles of, of religion contribute most powerfully to keep nations in the state of passive obedience, which they owe to their princes. Okay, so saying basically that, that religion can be used to keep them in their pa people in their passive obedience uh, to their princes. The high contracting parties declare it to be their intent to sustain in their respective states these measures which in, in the ultimately connected with the preservation of the authorities of their princes. So basically saying here that the religions that support the princes and the contracting high powers should be supported and kept in their, in their, in their positions and those that don't should be ousted. And we're going to go on and talk more about this and, and in more in detail and how, how it evolved into what's happening in our country right now in just a few minutes after this break. Liberty Effect, we are digging into some deep, deep conspiracies here. I've been talking about the uh, Treaty of Verona and and just showing a great example uh, in their own words of how these elitists believe and, and what they believe, that they have, they believe that they have a divine right to rule and that the... Uh, that it is not a right of the people to rule themselves. And they have united in many efforts to actually uh, take the right. They're talking about, uh, you know, the power of government. Um, they're talking about the power of the, me the media, talking about the power of religion, 
all to suppress and uh, the sovereignty of the people and uh, and to strengthen what they call their divine right to rule. Now, this secret treaty set forth clearly the conflict between uh, monarchical government, basically, uh, uh, and the popular government, or you could say the government of a few uh, against the government of the many, right? And uh, hopefully you and I have come to the conclusion that we have a right to govern ourselves. And that is the purpose of life, uh, to actually learn to govern ourselves. We come here to this earth, we're uh, constantly, every day, every minute of our waking lives, we're uh, given a choice, choices. And we have to choose right or wrong, and we learn through each choice that we make, each minute, each second. We learn to either be uh, stronger in self-governing ourselves or weaker. And ultimately, at the end of this life, we will have become either very weak in our ability to govern ourselves or very strong. But these people, these elitists, these those that believe that they have a divine right, they think that it is not your right to govern yourself. It is not your right to organize yourselves in local self govern or local governments to defend yourselves. But it is their right, and, and that, that right came from uh, a divine source. Now, how does this relate to us? Well, further in this book, which I'm kind of following today, uh, in, he begins to show how this effort to take the rights of the people to govern themselves – you know, and to govern themselves in their in their in their personal lives, to govern themselves in their families and in their local communities, to be able to try to take that away and take the power and to consolidate it into Washington. Then it could so then it could be taken and consolidated into a uh, a one world order, one government. But it has to be steps. You have to take it from the people. You know, then take it from their local governments, kind of bring it up through the states, and then get control of it into one body in Washington, D.C., and then it can be easily taken uh, from Washington, D.C. into a national uh, level of government. Now, he brings out on page 11 of this book that the just uh, justification of the pres presidential powers to write law through executive order stems from the fa failure of the government to rescind the declaration of martial law during the Civil War. Okay, he talks about basically that this executive power, uh, supposedly, that the president takes to make executive orders is being used to basically um, create a situation where uh, – Control can be all given to uh, Washington, D.C., and all into one power. He talks about this uh, uh, this bill that was passed, SB 2834, and that created the NSDD uh, 138 National Security Directive, or that's actually what it's called, I'm sorry. And, uh, and he goes on to talk about basically how this – uh, National Security Directive, which was an executive order, um, uh, was directly pretends to be a concerted cons concerned about international terrorism. 
it is when it is really a, a thin disguised authorization of preventive strike and re- regulatory raids against patriots in this country. I thought that was very interesting because remember this is being written, you know, you know, forty years ago. And he goes on to say when FEMA is active, activated, when pay, according to the this NSDD one thirty eight. Uh, created by Bill uh, Senate Bill 2834. When FEMA is activated, patriots will be rounded up in the dead of the night, most likely on a national holiday such as Thanksgiving. This is his words. Government agents and law enforcement officers in every city across the nation have received anti-terrorist training under the NSDD directive. And he goes on to say, and I can assure you the target is patriots. Now, remember, this was written, you know, 50 years ago. I mean, he he added and created a new edition in the in in 1990, I think. But most of the book was written in 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 the 70s, the late 70s. So, uh, we look at uh, he talks about um, some of the the senators and legislatures that tried to combat this, and uh, Leslie W. Bray, director of the Federal uh, Preparedness Agency, told the Senate Subcommittee on the Constitutional Rights in September of 1975. That was when I was born, actually. I am not at liberty to describe precisely what it what is the role and mission and capability that we have at the Mount Weather or at any other precise location. I guess this is Mount Weather is where all, everything was being handled and controlled. And where these agencies and FEMA was basically, uh, you know, uh, creating these um, trainings and so forth. In June 1975, Senator John Tunley, California chairman of the subcommittee on constitutional rights, charged that Mount Weather held dossiers on at least 100,000 Americans. I know from my stint with, with, with Office of Naval Intelligence that these dossiers consist of information collected about American patriots, men and women who are most likely to resist the destruction of our Constitution and the formation of the totalitarian police state under the New World Order. Very interesting, right? This is not my words. This is his words. And I would have to say that half of this book, nearly half of this book, is documents that he has copied um, and is offering to people. I'm not trying to sell the book. Anyway, he goes on to say, Mount Weather is the operational center, the hub of over 96 other underground federal relocation centers scattered across the United States. Each of these facilities contain computer databanks holding information, not on enemy agents, not Soviet diplomats or suspected terrorists, but on American citizen patriots. The Congressional Committee concluded that these databases operate, quote, operate with few, if any, safeguards or guidelines, unquote. Senator James Aberzek said, quote, I feel the entire operation has eluded the supervision of either Congress or the courts. Chairman Tunnel said, quote, Mount Weather is out of control, unquote. And since this time, nothing has been done by Congress to rectify the situation. However, 
uh, Mount Weather remains out of control. I guess that was his words. So you can see here that the representative form of government, which would, would be Congress, right? And some checks and balances found in the courts. Basically, these senators saying that the bureaucracies that are running these programs are completely out of control of Congress. We're going to come back with a lot more here in a few minutes. Discussion. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. So, again, uh, just laying out some of these. Uh, facts, uh, reading through some of this uh, information that this naval intelligence officer has given us. And, uh, and you know, I do believe reading who he is and his history, I believe that he felt uh, morally obligated to present this information to the American people so that they could be aware. And aware of what? Aware that the same people or a group of people, or the same belief of people that we read of in the Treaty of Verona, uh, these elitists, these uh, princes, as they call themselves, uh, these, uh, what, what did they say, that uh, contracting powers, they call themselves, that believe they have a divine right to rule, that that they are, have, are doing the same thing and, and have a very concerted effort to try to destroy the liberties of the people and the constitution in this land. And, and what is so shocking that what I'm about to read to you now is it's already happened. He saw at the beginning of it in the fifties and sixties, he saw their plan. And now I can say to you very clearly that this has already happened. He talks about a national, uh, a national police force. He talks about, and I'm going to go through it with you. But they basically taking and the you know the federal at the federal level, creating all the training and getting control of all of the local police forces, all the sheriffs and you know municipalities. Talks about how basically they all communicate with each other, and uh, many many people in the in these systems in these forces won't even know what they're doing. But they will basically become a tool to these people who are trying to oppose the, the right to self-govern, the right of the people to govern themselves. Now, he talks about in page 118, Nixon's Executive Order 11490, which is in effect today, allows the government in the form of FEMA to suspend the Constitution for literally any reason they decide to call a national emergency. He goes on to say, I cannot find a plan or executive order anywhere which outlines any procedure or allowance for the restoration of the Constitution after the national emergency. 
remember, he's looking through this these documents and he's trying to find where once it's been instituted, how it can be restored. Uh, in page 119, it says Congress does not uh, know and will not be told who is in control of the operations like Mount Weather. Uh, executive orders give FEMA power and the, the Disaster Relief and Emergency Assistance Act of 1998, the power to direct other federal agents to assist in an emergency, which makes all other federal agencies come under FEMA. They'll fall under FEMA. Now, this is, remember uh, Daniel that calls in ever so often, a FEMA District 9? This is probably why he keeps saying that he that's where he lives. He's not saying he lives in California or wherever. He says he lives in FEMA District 9. Well, he probably understands this a little better than most of us. So it goes on and says, the 303 Civil Affairs Group of the U.S. Army Reserve conducted an exercise to sharpen plans for a military takeover of the state government. According to Colonel Francis Clark, they had conducted similar studies on how to seize municipal and county governments. But this was the first time that they had studied state government. In February 16, 1975, San Gabriel Valley Tribune reported that Leah, LEAA, Law Enforcement Assistant Administration, funded by the Department of Justice and the Police Foundation, funded by Ford, the Ford Foundation, are prime movers toward implementing a national police force. The total program involves military units that have the function of taking over the administration of local and state governments. Sound familiar? Look familiar? The method by which the national police concept is being presented to the public is a keep the people from gathering in the streets. This would be a, in, in an effort. B, isolate, net, uh, neutralize the revolutionary leaders. C, disperse of crowd and demonstrators. And this is followed, now listen to this, followed by successful prosecution in order to, one, validate the actions of the police. I can honestly say I have been involved in this, but they were not successful. And they weren't successful because the Lord didn't allow them to be successful. And I am extremely grateful for that and hug and love my children every day because they were not able to successfully prosecute me and my family in order to validate the actions of the police, which was their first uh, on the first list of why they would prosecute. The second was to deny the arrested propaganda materials. And three, to deny them of opportunity to recover money damages, the police, uh, the money damages the police for arresting them. Now, this is all documented. It's not me saying it. It's not even uh, William Cooper saying it. He's got these, all these art articles, all these documents that he had. He's got them documented at the end of his book. So don't take my word for it. Anyway, it goes on to say anyone who attacks a state, even verbally, according to these records, uh, can be classified as a revolutionary and an enemy to the state by definition. Uh, they, uh, they are an enemy to be destroyed. This program was taught in almost every state west of the Mississippi River, including participants in local military reserve, local military, reserve military, and civilian police forces.
The name was Civil Emergency Management Course. Quote, this program active activity, excuse me, is a continuous joint law enforcement military liaison effort. How many times have you heard, if you've ever been in the in this world, have you heard the joint uh, effort, right? That, you know, our, our, uh, our federal, uh, what do they call them? Our, our, our federal, not companions, I'm, I apologize. You hear it all the time, our, you know, where the local law enforcement will work with the feds and and they call it a joint effort our joint effort and basically that's what this is identified as the joint law enforcement liaison effort so he goes on and i'm not sure the date of this but the the california national guard unveiled a new law enforcement assistant force called leaf l-e-a-f a specially trained and outfitted military police force whose members will serve as shock troops in the state war against political protesters and demonstrators. He goes on and says, I, in, in these documents, I saw a full dress ex- exhibition of what federal bureaucracies have planned for the next American revolution. Helicopters, SWAT teams, civilian military policemen in jackboots and helmets, 12-gauge shotguns, uh, and again, this was uh, uh, basically 38, 45 caliber pistols, rifles, radios, walkie-talkies, and electronic controlled intelligence centers wired for assistant communications with any police force in the state, funded by the federal government. Now, you go to your local law enforcement, let's go to your sheriff or to your police, and you ask them where they were trained. And they, almost all of them, were trained by the federal law enforcement training centers, almost all of them. And ask them where they get their equipment and what kind of equipment they have. Almost all of them have the same exact kind of equipment. Ask them where their, you know, their communication hierarchies. It's all the same. And it's all coming from the federal government. It's all funded from them. They're all trained by them. It's all the same training. And the communication, uh, I, you know, like train or communication uh, uh, trees, I guess, are all the same. This is exactly what William Cooper saw. This was their plan. And how he explains them and how they're dressed and how they act is exactly what he saw. But this, when he wrote this, this this wasn't the way it was. At that time, law enforcement officer was your friend. He was the one you called when you needed help. But the plan was to flip that upside down. And the people, the sovereign, the individuals became the enemy. Now, there's much more to this. I'm going to go on. It says, in 1975... There was a militarized effort, militarized, uh, effort to militarize the police forces. Okay, this is the plan. And in that plan, Stanley R. Larson stated, quote, the most serious – now, this is, this is part of the ones that were putting this plan together, part of the ones making this plan, the Stanley Larson. Quote, the most serious challenge facing all of us will be the challenge of discharging our legitimate responsibilities – For a significant portion of society at large is likely to regard us with suspicion and question, even challenge our authority on the basic assumption of our profession. 
part of this challenge and we must be prepared to deal with. A potential dangerous portion of our society. Okay, so before the break, I uh, I went into the uh, went into the uh, advertisements, and I wasn't able to clearly give you this quote. I have to go back. I found in radio, I'm finding more and more that there is only one thing sacred in radio, and that is advertising. And so, no matter what you do, who you are, I, I mean, I, I I've heard them cut off, you know, Sean Hannity. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, it doesn't matter. They get cut off. And, you know, I, I made the mistake thinking that my quote was more important than advertising, and so I got cut off. So anyway, uh, so I needed to back up, and this quote is extremely important. In 1975, this was in the plan to militarize the police forces. Stanley R. Larson, who the implement you know, part of the, an individual partly implementing this plan. He was part of this effort. He said, the most serious challenge facing all of us will be the challenge of discharging, discharging our legitimate responsibilities. Now, he's speaking to all of those who are going to be part of this militarized effort of the police force. He's speaking to this, these, this body of people. And he says, for a significant portion of society at large is likely to regard us with suspicion and question, even challenge our authority on the basic assumption of our profession. Part of this challenge we must be prepared to deal with, a potentially dangerous portion of our society, which in truth could become the domestic enemy. Okay, now I can't tell you how many times I have been called a domestic terrorist, and in fact, there is an article today. Uh, well, I don't know when the article, but there, right now, as I'm speaking, there is a. Uh, uh, let me get to it. I apologize. There is a. Uh, I want to have the name, official name. It's called the at the University of Oregon. It's called the National. So it's the University of Utah, sorry, uh, the S.J. Quincy College of Law, right? There is a event being held right now as we're speaking. Um, well, just got over, actually. It's called the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge Occupation and Combating Violent Extremists. And basically, it's being done by this Peter Walker, uh, who's an environmentalist, and he's basically saying that all the people that participated in the Malheur National Wildlife Occupation is violent extremists. And uh, uh, as you know, Harry Reid called my family and those that supported uh, my family in 2014 – uh, he called us domestic terrorists. He says we're nothing but domestic terrorists. And as you know, the Hammonds were charged as uh, terrorists, uh, domestic terrorists, under the Anti-Terrorist Death Penalty Act of 1996. They were charged as uh, Arsenal's terrorists. Um, they tried to charge us as terrorists, but they didn't get away with it in both Oregon and in Nevada. They tried to get us under that, but they did declare our case as a um, 
uh, a con, uh, complicated case, and they got extra funding under those same laws when they're prosecuting terrorists. And so, again, this quote here, this uh, Stanley Larson is correct, that the greatest threat or the uh, that they considered uh, was a serious challenge, they said, actually, was that a significant portion of society at large is likely to regard them with as suspicious and question, even challenge, their authority. And what is the authority that we would challenge? Basically, their authority to take away the right of our ourselves to govern. Um, and this effort, and I, you know, could go on and on talking about basically the contents of this book and the efforts that have been, uh, you know, implemented by these people that believe that they have divine rights to to rule and to govern. Uh, we could talk about it for literally days. We could talk about the efforts of, you know, look at look at the Roman Empire. What did it become? It became an empire where those in control believed that they had a right, divine right to control. In fact, there's a uh, 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 an incident. I need to do a lot more studying because I don't have the it all down. But and I promise you, I will do some studying on this. But there was a civilization of people that basically moved up onto a plateau and the Roman armies had to build a ramp to try to conquer this city up on this plat plateau. took them several years, I think three to five years, to finally build this ramp and uh, so that they could knock down the wall so that they could conquer. And I believe, if I'm correct, once they did this after many years of building this ramp, they got up there, broke down the wall, raided the city, but everybody had killed themselves. Now, that's very interesting, the details, and I need to get more familiar with it. Uh, but what constantly comes up in my mind is why in the world would the Roman Empire ha ha have to conquer these people? Why did they think they had to conquer them? I mean, they were very insignificant when it comes to the, you know, the Roman Empire and their rule and all of that. But they had to conquer them. And that's basically the mentality of these people, these elitists, and that have infiltrated our governments on every level, but mostly the federal level, because they are trying to consolidate the power into one body, to bring it up into Washington, D.C., and they've almost got it done. I mean, you know, our education system, even our religions, uh, our religious systems, our, uh, you know, our, our, uh, taxes, um, everything. I mean, I could go on and on. I'm, I'm listing just a few. Basically, our businesses, all of that, we have to now have to get permission from the federal government in order to be able to act and move and so so on and so forth. And that basically is a, that is a consolidation of power. And that, why would anybody want power be, to be consolidated into one body? Why would they be funneling all this power into one body? Because then it could easily be controlled. When it's distributed back to every person, every property owner, every individual, when all that power is distributed, when you truly have freedom over your little acre that you have or half acre or eighth acre, when you have control of your own body, and, you know, when you have the truly the right 
to govern yourself in your own cities, in your own counties, they can't control you. And that was how the founders protected freedom. They disposed of all the natural resources, all the land. They tried, the, the, the goal was to dispose of it to the people, to get it into the hands of all the people so it couldn't be consolidated and controlled into one body. So these elitists that they very uh, they knew, they understood, they had lived through it. They had fought through a bloody battle to try to become free from these elitists. They didn't believe that the king had divine rights to rule them. Obviously, they didn't believe that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have opposed him. They didn't believe that these people, these noblemen, you know, had had the right through their blood to control and to rule. That's why they made titles of nobility illegal in this country. They didn't believe that. They believed that each individual had that right from God to be free. And that each person had a right to claim a piece of this earth and to live on it and to control it how he chose or she chose. That they can conduct their lives in the manner in which they chose to conduct it. That they can freely trade with each other without paying the government for each transaction. And that the only purpose for a government, which is the uniting of people, was to defend the right of the individual, to protect the sovereignty of the people, of the individual. It wasn't to basically so that they can consolidate the power so that they can be controlled. It was just opposite. And we see this same effort in the Treaty of Verona. We see it in, you know, the kings and the lords of the medieval times. We see it in the Babylonian history in the Old Testament. We see it, you know, in in the New Testament times, in the Romans. We see it all over, and it is happening right now in our country. And we've almost been defeated by it. But the individual has to be free in order to fulfill fulfill the purpose of this life. That's why God gave you the right to govern yourself. And he gave the people in your area the right to unite together in defense of that. And no other government is legitimate. No other government beyond that is right. And I leave you with these thoughts. And I hope that you can take them, spread them, and think about them. And come up with your own decision, your own Uh, ability to think and to know that you have a right from God to govern yourself. Thank you. Timely, credible, thoughtful discussion. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network.